Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a geoff, it could be. Maybe it's Mitt Romney. Know you love this weekend moments, original morning news. If you love Lindsay Sterling, Harper in Utah and cello salad foods. Oh, you're gonna love this show. Ah, everyone. This week in Mormons is starting. It's here. So stop everything you're doing, literally, literally everything you're doing, and spend the next little while with us as we dissect the hot, steamy world of Latter-day Saint-related news. It's going to be quite a week. I'm glad you're here. I'm Jeff Openshaw, the founder of This Week in Mormons, and I'm, I've am i been doing this for 11 and a half years, which is kind of stupidly long, but I'm glad you're here. If any of you have been here for that length of time, shout out to you. Sound off in the comments on our Facebook page or on YouTube if you're, if you're a lifer for TWIM. I want to hear from you, and you're welcome to talk about how much you don't like me. It's fair. But enough of that. Um, also, some quick housekeeping. Go to thisweekinmormons.com. Go to facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons. At the real tw- twim on Twitter. At thisweekinmormons on Instagram. And, of course, become a patron on patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons. Help us keep the lights on. We'd appreciate it. If you could do that, it surges us forward. We're trying to boost our YouTube numbers. We're trying to boost our Patreon supporters. We're trying to boost our numbers. It's a crowded marketplace, and we've always been here for you, so be there for us. All right, I got the spiels out of the way. Back from Singapore. Haven't had her around here for a while. Josie Gleaves in the house today. What's up, Josie? Hi, Jeff. It has been a while. I considered like going back into the episodes to see actually how long it has been, but I thought maybe that was a little bit um I think it's been at t- least three months. At least three months. Oh no, it's been more than that because there were definitely at least two months where I was kind of dead to the world. Um, and didn't <laughs> actually really leave my house or my bed very much. But that's because um, oh, here we go. We're going to spoil my own personal news immediately. So I'm finally, I guess, it's pregnant. It's not mine to spoil. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm pregnant and I, pregnancy's really hard. So there really, there really were two months where oh, sorry, I was just at home. Yeah. Is, is this my sad sob music? Yes. Oh, yes. tiny violin. <laughs> This is what this feels like. Um, yeah. But congratulations. That's, Thank congratulations. you. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's congratulations. No, you guys it want is. It, it definitely. Good. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good. It's exciting stuff. I just really don't like being pregnant, um, which it, I've well, it sucks. discovered. It sucks. Um, yeah. What's it like having to watch from the sidelines, Jeff? It's different for everyone. I think the hardest thing is as a husband, you, you, genuinely want to do everything you can to make your wife more comfortable to be helpful um but sometimes there's there's literally just only so much you can do and there, and there's only so many ways i can try to empathize mm. um cuz i can't like i want to but at the same time i can never fully experience or understand what this is that that you women go through in order to bring a child into the world it's a very it's a singular experience for each one of you and you can tell me about it i can learn about it and i can be a shoulder. I mostly just try to be a shoulder to cry on and just be able to say like, well, that sucks. That sucks. That sucks. Except I've learned that's what women want to hear. 
<clears throat> they don't want a man to solve their problems. They just want to be listened oh, to and be told that and be told that sucks. <laughs> and so I mean, I that, think you're doing okay on the empathy part. Like I don't see empathy as in you literally having to know and having felt what this is experience well, is like. Well, there's sympathy in it. I have sympathy. You also can't do that. Yes, I have sympathy. Yeah, but empathy, I don't know if I can pull that one off. So I don't know. You just. Just trying to be helpful. Selling yourself short there by trying to imagine what that might be like, and you have watched it happen a number of times. So I mean, already so many times. You know, there's the ones. There's once with my wife, and then who knows what else? Yeah, it's been yeah crazy. So you know significantly more than I do, and I'm in the Poland 2007. Yeah, it was was something else. What? (laughs) Nothing. Um, so yeah, you, I mean, you, you, you met w- w- when you met my wife, when you guys were out here in DC and we all went to dinner. I mean, my wife was very pregnant at the time. If I remember yeah, that's that's when she was, right. she was, I don't remember exactly when that was, but she was, I think definitely in third trimester by that point, yeah. we were, we were getting closer to the act. See, the thing is, is now that I can, now that I'm in it, there's this like kind of glazed look that pregnant women can have as they get That's- further along where they're trying to hide how uncomfortable they are, but they yeah. just, it, they can't like clear it from their eyes. I didn't realize that now I get it. I also did not think I was going to be a pregnant woman who would touch her stomach all the time. That is oddly soothing and it just feels yeah. So I'm I'm going through all of the stuff that everybody has maybe either actually there's a lot of stuff that people tried not to tell me because there's a lot of like moms who who don't want to get real about pregnancy because they're worried that they'll scare you off like having a child. And I was like, no, I was already like pretty reasonably scared off having a child. <laughs> like any more details wasn't really gonna change my mind. But now that I'm in it and there's still like people who don't want to give me all the details until I'm about to go through it, which is making me a bit nervous, but we're surviving. Oh, you're going to, I'm not panicking at all. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. So due date, what November? Halloween. Late October. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. She's a Halloween baby. So I'm taking recommendations of costumes that I should go to the labor warden. If anyone has ideas. Um, oh, the one I was going to go with is, uh, da, 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 uh, what's it called? Oh, what's the character's name? You should be Oogie Boogie from the Nightmare Before Christmas. That should be your plan. It's perfect. Oogie Boogie. I don't remember Oogie, Oogie Boogie. Do you know Oogie Boogie? I know Nightmare Before Christmas, but I don't remember any Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie. Okay. Look at our chat window. Do you see the chat window? I'm going to actually, I forgot this thing. Always oh, I see that chat window. Things. You just go to that chat window there. I'm going to, that's some Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie. Oh yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Um no. No, okay. Well, I I mean you asked, and that's what I that was my best bet. You could also be the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I'm trying to lean into the whole pregnancy makes you large thing. I and see make that, that. But like I make still want to look cute. You. Oogie Boogie's not very cute. You you didn't stipulate that you wanted to look cute before. You just said you wanted well, a Halloween costume. I'm not saying costume. it needs to be like a sexy Halloween costume. But like, no, by all by all means, please. I do don't want to wear. I don't want to wear a potato sack on my head. <laughs> then no one will even know who you are. You just, <laughs> I know. Just like, please identify yourself. I wouldn't even be able to get to the hospital with this. 
Okay, well, listeners, uh, what are your ideas okay. for Josie's Halloween? <laughs> now, Oogie Boogie was fair. For her ha- I, Halloween baby. Yeah, it's fair. It at least looks like that could have been a maternity-sized potato sack. So I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. So ah, so that's the pregnancy. Me. What a fun crossroads for you. I don't know. It's like legit top five hardest slash worst things I've been through so far in my life. Not the top, but it's up there. So I think you and my wife should talk a bit because she was she was similar. Like when there's women who there's women who say like I love being pregnant. Like I love being pregnant. It's fun. And those women are insane, apparently. So you and you and Danielle can commiserate about it. She's always like, I love my children. I'd do it all over again for any one of them, but I absolutely hate being pregnant more than anything oh. in the world. Yeah. See, I don't hate those women who like have it really easy. I just actually don't understand how that is possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, how are we having such different experiences? Uh, poor Danielle. I didn't realize that hers were also equally as bad but we she's can... gonna get mad at me for being so so dramatic okay. about it on here oh i'm sure it wasn't dramatic at all for her i can understand a to be clear, she's a good sport it's not like i don't think she was she's never been difficult or anything i just know it's it's just a difficult time for somebody oh geez always, well good on her she's always i am not a good sport i complain about it nice. every day <laughs> Well, I think the complaining is still part of it. That's just that's that's what the men have to do. You just roll with the complaining, for example, and you just say, "Yep, that sucks," and then don't talk about yourself. You know, don't 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 make it about you. Don't be like, "Well, I'm in gra- I'm feeling great. I'm in great shape." <laughs> that's that's not going to help anyone, right? I mean, I mean, your husband's a beautiful man, very good shape. Um, yes, he so is. I hope he's not. So he needs to. No, play he's that doing down. a great job, but I don't mind him talking and even just distracting i feel like helps so if he's feeling good i don't mind we also want to give a shout out to jeremy for like ceasing to watch his his netflix or whatever while we recorded so he didn't mess up our audio so thank you pal he made this possible (laughs) yeah he he has a couple of days off of work so there we go and we were supposed to go out for a lovely bike ride today and it's pouring so um he's working on the backup plan Anyways, that's the backup plan. Watching television. All right. Well, I'm gl- <laughs> I think it's well, background noise while he thinks and works things out. I have no idea. I don't deal with the background noise situation, but he does. Fair enough. All righty, folks. So it's one of these good grab bag weeks, right? Mm-hmm. I love these. Now, by the way, quick plug. If you have not heard our interview last week with Keith Erickson, who's the director of the Church History Library, a lot of great stories, a lot of good ideas on how we can... Uh, learn how to navigate and discern truth from error, how we can become good fact checkers ourselves, things like that. Great. He has a great book out. Excellent podcast. I always like to plug it. I mean, I want you to listen to the show in general, but I really enjoy talking to him. So I hope you'll take the time to go listen to that show. That was a very fun interview we did with Keith Erickson. And this week we're back with uh, a grab bag of news. I don't think there's really a single dominant story in the Latter-day Saint news this week. So I'm going to dive right into the an otter one. And by otter, I mean ODD, not the one about the aquatic rodents, right? So Utah count, you know, otter, like otter pops. I gotcha. I gotcha. I just wasn't trying to cut you off, but I appreciate the little. Well, you didn't, you didn't give me as much of even an eye roll, Josie. I didn't even, I I need to be heard. Okay. Okay. I have a problem right now that my children, because their age, ignore us when we say things to them. And I have a real need to be acknowledged. You need feedback. Okay. I'm here for that. 
All right, so the headline reads, Utah County Director Writing and Directing Musical About Joseph Smith. Now, this is literally a new musical that's going to premiere in Utah County called 1820 The Musical. And it is going to be a a musical about Joseph Smith and the Restoration, allegedly attempting to be like legit about things, not trying to gloss over anything historical, kind of similar to the Witnesses movie we talked about uh, a month or so ago. Um, but it's going to be a musical about the love story of Joseph and Emma. And the the writer and director, George Nelson, who's the head of BYU's playwriting program and a professor there in the theater and media arts department, um, a lot of the impetus behind this is a response to the Book of Mormon musical, which is 10 years old at this point, which is hard to believe. And that's why he's, uh, that's why he's doing this. And um, I... I okay. I guess that's. Tell me so how I you guess, really feel there, Jack. Well, maybe I should not. Cause I'm not here all this time. Just it's it, it's not. I'm just giving you the information. It's fine. This is great that someone's doing this. If it's good, I. He does say he's trying not to be an apologist. He's going out of his way to say that, which could be comforting. There's nothing wrong with defending the church per se, but if you're trying to be authentic about it, I think that's a good step forward. I don't know. I'm curious what the songs will be. We should have them on the show. Let's see. Me got, too. Oh, they have a Facebook page called 1820 The Musical. <clears throat> Only um, 649 people follow this page, including six of my friends. So that's actually a pretty good ratio. I've got like 1% of the coverage <laughs> of this thing. And um, so they're just, they're going to be doing this. And uh, it comes I mean, out like next month. Like it's premiering I, in like at the start of August, which I mean, already I, I, I feel yeah. like writing a play is that's like oodles of work and then trying to compose your own music. So I'm, there's part of me that's like, wow, good on you. But also oh, it's crazy, crazy hard. 1820, the musical, as far as a title, it's not really like raining, very Mormony. To me, See, that could like be there could be thing, lots though. of things going on in 1820. They, they at least go like off Broadway. People show up and there's, have you seen 1820? And then no one knows what it's about. They show up, they get evangelized. They didn't know what they were coming, what they're getting into. Boom. Church members before you know it. Mm. It's just a, I, I do have a lot of respect though, for the people, the creatives behind this. I mean, like we watch. No, um, trying to pull this off. Definitely. We watched in the Heights. La- we watched in the Heights last week, and you know, that's Lin Manuel Miranda's first, first real foray into the theater, and uh, and just <clears throat> even that one, it's not as good as Hamilton. Hamilton is is far superior, but just I think about the minds and the creativity of people who can do all that, and I think that's just an incredible gift, uh, whether it's at that scale or it is at the eighteen twenty thing. The poster <clears throat> is interesting. Here, Josie, I'm gonna oh, I didn't cut this the over to you. Poster. Oh, here I'm, I'm doing. Oh, that. back in the chat. Um, I feel like just because I'm not, I don't know how I feel about this. Oh, uh-uh. so everyone, sorry. So the poster <laughs> has a, it's a drawing of a woman, of a woman's face, very zoomed in. And then she's holding up those old school sunglasses that were on, you know, like a stick on one side of the frame. Oh, is that and what they are? I think that's what's going on. And then mirrored in one of the lenses is who appears to be the prophet. And it says, in quotes, they called him a lunatic with an exclamation point. And a capital L. I would sh- totally go watch this if I were in Utah. 
I would absolutely go see what's going on. Very steampunk, which doesn't feel like it's on brand at all. Okay. Interesting. I am all over this. A different kind of musical. (laughs) I mean, David Archuleta gives it some love. He calls it a fantastic and well-written music. Very different from anything else I've ever heard. Okay. From Latter-day Saint related production. Oh, then I feel like it definitely is steampunk. Amazing. Oh. Just kidding. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> but I I do feel the like- soundtrack's on Spotify. Too. Oh, is it? Yes, yes, yes. Are you, yes, are yes, you yes. playing some right now or do I have to go look that up later? You probably have to look here. I can. I can. Oh, send, okay. Okay. No, don't send I, me a link. It's fine. If I could, I can rip the audio and play it through here, so our dear listeners can hear it. No. But it's it's it's. Uh, hold on. I'm gonna send you another link. Oh, yes. There mm-hmm. we go. Mm-mm-mm. We are chatting so well. It's a little. It's it's got some some vibes. It has vibes. Wait for it, Josie. Did you play it yet? No, you just sent me a link to a Facebook page. Oh, do I have to click? Yeah. Glory, glory. <laughs> you audition. Uh, Jeff is auditioning to be the backup. Is this supposed to be? Uh, okay, hold on. There's a there's a bigger picture of the poster, and it's supposed no, to be Emma. The poster. I was trying. I was trying to give you a. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to the link. Oh, there it is. Hold on, I had to scroll down a little bit. I might have done the wrong one. Actually, I sent you a secondary link. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's got some feels. This reminds me of how uh, Alex Bouyer, if you're a year ago, this sort of flew under the radar. Alex Bouyer, of course, the famed singer, member of our faith, who uh, was trying to crowdsource funding for another musical about the life of Joseph Smith, but it was very much in the vein of Hamilton. Like that exact style, copying it. It looked not great. And I've heard nothing else about it since then. Aww. So I'm afraid the people also felt it looked not great, which does make me kind of sad because, I mean, let's at least make the things. I feel like if you're in Provo and you can actually go to theater now because things are actually open for you, then you should probably book a ticket and go and see this simply because, well... Because I can't go to anything like this. <laughs> so I would love to hear what it's like. So go and yeah. in my place, enjoy your theater and all other activities that you get to do, despite the rest of the world being in the middle of COVID still. Yeah. And that's why I'm not going to hate too much. Do your thing. I'd go to this. Why not? Definitely. Great job. Is this a uh, cue me? Okay. I mean, if you want, yeah. I can easily throw. Sorry, one I just I sat. I'll back. give you another one real quick. Greg <laughs> Prince, noted, noted historian, wrote the landmark book um, David O. McKay and the Rise of Modern Mormonism. Uh, absolutely essential read for anyone who's never read it before. Maybe we'll put a link to it here on the on the show uh, at, at our website with the show notes for this. <clears throat> anyway. Um, the University of Virginia is now going to be the top site of study for Mormonism outside of Utah, which did surprise me because I thought the top site might have been Claremont Colleges, maybe in California. But uh, UVA has got a lot going on. And a big part of that is because Greg Prince has donated about 10,000 books and other print materials from his collection to help out with the effort. And this this has all kinds of interesting bits, factoids, miniature books. It looks like the gold plates. Mm-hmm. Um Where's the list? It's got a list. I mean, you've got the Beehive Girls Handbook for Mormon Girls. 
designs for a rotunda shaped building in Temple Square that was never constructed, a dictionary of sign language terms for the church, affirmation newsletters from Los Angeles, 1981. It's cool that he's decided to donate all this. I mean, he's still, he's not like an nearing the end of his life or anything, but he just said he realized the collection needed to have a second life because his use for it was coming uh, to an end. And he began this by discussing it with Richard Bushman, who of course is also a noted Latter-day Saint historian and scholar. Um, and that's uh, that's great. They're, they're making it rain. Good for them. Why not? Sweet. Okay. I'm ready cool this time. It? I didn't sit back so far in my chair that I couldn't get up again. Well, done a moment I mean, ago. you have, you have, you, I don't want to tell you, you have limitations. I, you have limitations. A little challenged. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to segue actually back to some Mormon related esque entertainment, um, there is apparently a new show called the chosen that um, is actually seeming to be pretty successful and doing fairly well. So it came from the founders of VidAngel, um, which Maybe if they had led with that, I might have been a little bit more skeptical if it was actually truly successful, but it sounds like it is. Um, So The Chosen is a TV show about Jesus, and uh, they've crowdfunded it and then also were streaming it from their own app, and then it only just got picked up, I think, by NBC um, for Peacock. Is that their streaming service? What a name. Uh, Peacock Um, is NBC Universal's. Because NBC has the peacock and its logo. It's, oh, uh, radio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You got so to get a VPN. Yeah. Get tapped in. It's peacock. On, it's on peacock now. Um, but yeah, they have something mad, like over, um, like almost 200 million views of this TV show. And, um, but the whole point of this article was kind of saying that it's surprising that it's done this well, whilst also being largely... Uh, not necessarily ignored, but like skipped over in most of the press about TV shows that are going on. So without much marketing or press behind the show that it's still um, gaining quite a lot of popularity. Uh, I got to say, I do think they have the worst promotional hashtag, which is hashtag binge Jesus. So, okay. Um, (laughs) It's pretty bad. Um, but it sounds like the show um, is kind of like, it's described as like a version of Jesus that you'd want to hang out with. So it sounds like the more human side of him, that's much more relatable, not like the untouchable or unapproachable portrait of Jesus. It's, that's it's, in it's some... the George W. Bush version of Jesus. Oh, right? yes. okay. That's almost he's, as bad as the hashtag. Um, he's the president you want to th- have a barbecue with. Everyone yeah. Okay. That. Fair. All right. We can go and get some hummus together. Obama's too snooty. Trump is too Trump. Biden's eating ice cream. But but W, man, he was the fun one. Oh, okay. It's a party. Uh, But basically the show is trying to show that human side whilst also being based on the Bible. Um, But of course, I'm sure that there are some people who feel like, you know, not all the stories were exactly accurate or historically or like super precise and specific to what was in the Bible. So I think that they take a few liberties there, but it's an interpretation. So have you watched this, Jeff? Uh, well, it's funny you should bring that up. You uh, did, I have didn't been, you? I, I've been borderline harangued by many for some time. Oh, really? About how, great the ch- how great The Chosen is. And uh, 
We just never got around to it. It's on, it's on BYU TV's app as well. You can watch oh. it there. See, I'd never heard of it until I saw this article. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed it's been a thing, especially because there's been a few years. They haven't done s- seasons every single year immediately. I think the first season came out in like 2017 or 2018, and the second oh. season only started this only started this year. Uh, so there, there have been some gaps when you crowdfund. Maybe that's the that's the thing. I have to imagine, though, it's so popular now. They've got to be able to secure more funding. I mean, it's been viewed by like 194 million mm. people. And notably, in season two, they've been filming at the church's Jerusalem set down there in Goshen, Utah, in southern Utah oh, County, wow. which is the first time the church has let a non-church entity uh, actually use it for filming purposes, which was part of the plan all along, but it's kind of cool. So I've only seen one episode. I've watched the pilot. How was the pilot? You're spurky. It was good, and that's it. I was going to watch some more last night, but I wound up watching a spoiler teaser for everybody. I wound up watching Once I Was Engaged, the sequel to Once I Was a Beehive. We'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. But um, it's actually pretty well done. It's well, definitely well enough done that you say like, yeah, I want to watch more of this and see what's going on. I, I mean, Jesus barely makes an appearance until the end of the first episode. You're getting to know different characters, publicans, Peter and James, uh, <clears throat> Mary Magdalene shows up. Different things are happening. I know they take some liberties with character backstories primarily to make it an actual like drama show with interpersonal conflict. But yeah. uh I've always seen the one episode, but it seems good. And everyone just talks about how absolutely fabulous it is. And I love that the Atlantic doesn't dunk on it too hard. Like they actually say, I mean, the opening paragraph, which could be a salvo in many instances, but like, have you heard about this Jesus TV show that streams for free from its own app that's had nearly 200 million views and that it's honestly much better than I expected? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which does say a lot about like the nature of faith-based programming. Like there's always that element of it that when you can't get around the preachiness of it, kind of like dilutes any dramatic impact it might have or or quality because it just because you veer into that area where it has this other mission to evangelize instead of just being entertainment or art or meaning something. Yeah. But so far, I th- I think it's great. I'm glad that there's a thing that people are doing like this. And uh, and it's huge, not just for members of our faith, of course, but across Christendom. I did see someone comment based on the header image on the Atlantic because Jesus is wearing a blue sash. And blue is the hardest color to create. Basically, oh, only rich, people, only 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 wealthy people would have had a blue sash, and they think that was a a bad move on the producer's part because Jesus would not have a wealthy person's sash. Maybe it was a hand me down, yes, or a gift, or he found it on the side I of the road and was like, "Blue's know. my favorite color." Yeah, uh, so it's good. You guys should check if you guys can. You might actually dig it. I mean, if you uh, there's only eight episodes a season can plow through that right and you said there's two seasons now yes i think the uh i think the season i think the season two finale was like this past week oh should have had a twin watching party we're behind we should have we should all (laughs) do twin watch parties on VidAngel. see what's still there all right so i'm going to pivot here to something that is that is my most bizarre story of the week. And I love the things we come across, things that come into my inbox. Okay. This is from the everyone's internet news press wire. So take that for what it's worth. I gotta say, Uh, this is a unique pick even for you, Jeff. A new American scripture, how and why the real Illuminati registered term created the book of Mormon. I had to read this a couple of times to understand what on earth was happening. Mm. 
in this release because what you're what what it gets down to is essentially the the I've looked up the the real Illuminati who apparently are not the other Illuminati like like no no people you think they're the ones pulling the strings no no we are the real Illuminati it is it is us we are the secret cabal who is out to do, control everything um, but they're basically against like church leadership if you watch their little video at the bottom arguing more or less that it's corrupt and a, and is deviated from the script and a litany of things. But then they're saying we have the book of Mormon, like this is the correct one. And that's what this is about. Like in this press release at everyone's internet news press wire, which I think is the only place you could release this because nobody else cared uh, is. <laughs> yeah. About the real Book of Mormon. Now, it is a free download, and I fully admit I am tempted to download and see what in the flip is happening with this book. I mean, they they are the real Illuminati. They have a declaration of reform and change, which uses a typeface that makes me think of, I don't know, Battlestar Galactica or Starship Troopers. I don't oh, know what's going no, on here. Oh, I didn't see that. There's a... It's, it's a... Uh, See, I went onto their website because I also was equally confused and was like, who is this? Because at first I thought I thought it was satire. And so I thought- That's what I was having a hard time with as well. Like, is this, I, like as I read through this for a while, I was like, is this something like, I share? Is oh, this like an actual thing? No, it's super earnest. Um, I'm, they have I'm, multiple publications. Yes, they have multiple publications, including their version of the um, lost manuscript pages they've got okay. they've I've got that the, i've opened up the real version of the book of mormon the good good on them they don't even make you sign up or do anything to get oh you didn't down. have you to just, give them your oh, email no, it just takes you straight to their upload page <laughs> from pearl publishing a new the real illuminati i'm i am fascinated about the real illuminati but what i don't get here is like this isn't like the book of mormon i mean the the chapters right here my favorite part of the website is the family their- of pride, wars and rumors of wars. Oh. oh, this is so long. It's like a thousand pages long. People who I'm so I'm not gonna read this. It's too long. I mean the Book of Mormon's pretty long. The Book of Mormon is five hundred something pages and it slaps, oh. all right? But this <laughs> I don't know. So this is the, this is this whole bizarre thing. I'm uh, I'm I'm flummoxed. I don't even know what to say about it. It's strange. Uh, this is quite telling. Uh, this part on the website under there, a new world order and a one world government. Let's suppose yes. that planet Earth is attacked. Okay, already. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um. Well, let's is that where let's yes, let's let's suppose it, it and, doesn't go actually where I thought it was gonna go. It starts by talking about how in the last two world wars, afterwards we got the League of Nations and then we got the the United Nations, and that neither have really given equality to the people on the earth. And so if someone following logic here, if someone attacks Earth then what are these failed organizations going to do? And are we going to unite together or are we still going to be doing the power struggle between who's the greatest nation? That's their, I got you. So that, that's, that's a their real world, spiel. There's a real world example of this, Josie. So in 1996, oh, okay. um, 
a number of unidentified objects came into space. And then there was this, this guy who worked in satellites, uh, this nice Jewish man, and also <laughs> a, notable, a, no, a noted captain uh, who was a Marine. He worked at El Toro, and he was an aspirant astronaut. And what happened was they, these, these people actually attacked Earth and destroyed a lot of our major cities. And then a ragtag band of people went to Area 51 and learned how to, how to win the day. Uh, through great personal sacrifice. Are we and going? My point. My point in this is, when this happened, you actually saw the Israeli military, the Iraqi military. Everyone just got along to fight the greater good. It was it was tremendous the way we we took them down and uh, the way we celebrated that great victory. Um, and it was cool because the president flew his own jet. The nineties were great. See, at first, I was like, "Is this Battlestar Galactica?" It took me a moment, but I got you now. <laughs> Oh just, dear! It happened once. It could happen. It happened again. once. It could happen again. Actually, there was a sequel, wasn't there? <laughs> there was, and nobody cared. It totally <laughs> just like fly. Um. So this is cute. So fun. I don't know. Yeah, M- move on from the real Illuminati. They're bizarre. I I would say the only thing is that like I am curious who it is. But obviously, they don't tell you who they are in their About Us page, um, except that, oh, they had another amazing line in this About page. Let's see if I can find it again. Oh, here we go. We have the solutions to all of humanity's problems. They're making some big promises here, but don't want to take credit? Okay. Well, whoever you are. I just want to know if it's one person or if it's like a club. That's all. I just, <laughs> I just want to know how many people are in on this. Maybe the FAQ is really going <laughs> to. What is the real Illuminati? It's an esoteric, i.e. private group of individuals who are confidentially behind the scenes of society. They oppose Ooh. superstition, religious influence over public life, the abuses of government power, and obscurantism. The practice of deliberately preventing the facts or full details of a situation or event from becoming known. But this is their entire website. Can anyone join the real Illuminati? No, it's not a group for which you apply for membership. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting find. That was a fun little internet wormhole you went down and found that. Um, I'm not sure where you dig that up, but okay. So in some temple news... (laughs) Let's shift gears here. Um, All of the temples are now open um, in some capacity. And uh, thanks to Ukraine. Thanks to Ukraine. Oh, what was specific about Ukraine? The the Kiev Ukraine temple was the only one left in the church that was had still never reopened in any capacity since the pandemic started. Oh, was it? See, I thought maybe this was a bigger widening of. Okay. And there's further well, widening. But Ukraine, the big we're, glad, we're glad you're back. Um, I am. Yeah. I love Ukraine. Ukraine is near and dear to our hearts. So Ukraine is at the core of TWIM. If I remember when they dedicated the Ukraine temple, Al served his mission there. Al went out there. Longtime listeners City. again might know this. It was like September of 2010. Al flies out to Ukraine. He records TWIM like hiding in a closet <laughs> in some member's house where he's crashing. <laughs> With terrible connection quality, but we powered through and got it done. That was that was some delight. I, I do miss those days when Al would travel internationally and we'd somehow squeeze in the podcast because he'd be like, where are you? I don't know. I'm on a train somewhere in Peru. 
Let's just do the show. Perfect. So yeah. that's happening. Perfect Sorry recording. Oh, no, no, no. That was all. There's just the temples are officially now open, but with the little fine print there of to some extent. Uh, another sort of tangential thing about temples, though, thanks to good old Corey Ward over there on our own website. <clears throat> Corey has a great column about very in-depth temple analyses. And basically, he's breaking down how it's become increasingly common nowadays to destroy an existing meeting house and put a temple in its place. Whereas years ago, like especially with the the uh, Hinckley era mini temples, the temple would sort of be plopped down on the same land next to a stake center. And, and it was almost so galling. Like you can tell there was never meant to be an additional structure on the, on the lot. And he's got some great satellite imagery to, to, uh, <laughs> to illustrate that. And when you see it on a satellite, it looks kind of funny. It's like, mm. yep, that used to be the parking lot. And now there's just this little temple that is tinier than the meeting house right next to it. This used to be a thing, but basically the pendulum is swinging the other way now where instead we are demolishing a lot of these stake centers and sometimes building a new one next to the new temple, but sometimes just getting rid of the stake center altogether uh, to build the temple. So if you want to read about that, head over to our website and get into his his in-depth analysis of it. I mean, there's a lot going on here. You've got a handful of locations with no new meeting house coming in, including Taylorsville, Utah. A big old one in Utah that couldn't even keep their meeting house. They destroyed it. I feel and I'm like- curious if they'll do if they're going to do this in my native my my native Yorbalinda for the temple there. That's what I, I want to see if they're going to knock out a meeting house that they don't really need anymore. The church was going to sell a meeting house in Yorbalinda a few years ago then backed off the sales. So now I have to wonder if they'll just tear down the meeting house and put the temple there speculation hmm. we're not supposed to speculate sorry i mean we just came from the real illuminati so i think we're actually you know we're we're far gone on the speculation Love here. Them. um so let's do some international news wahoo oh oh okay hold on cute Elder Koichi, I, oh man, see Jeff, I knew I was going to practice this name in panic. Okay, hold on guys, I'm working on a Japanese name. Elder Koichi Aoyagi, there we go, got it the second time. That's that's better than President Uchtdorf ever did. Claps, claps for me, I'm pregnant, I can get away with what I want. Okay, so he was a... um, Honorary General Authority of the 17. He passed away um, just recently at age 76. So I apologize for the laughs at the beginning and for um, not getting in the name like right. Were, I'm trying. I feel like you were making, making light of him and then he died. Just I mean, trying to actually send condolences to him and his, or to his family and to those who knew him and were inspired because it sounds like he had a long life of church service. So we are grateful for that. Um, and know. then the church in the Philippines is building their first FSY campgrounds um, in Asia. It'll be east cool. of Manila. So this actually sounds like a decent size kind of compound. Like it's on a 24-acre property and it's going to have dorms, some different meeting buildings, an auditorium, um, an outdoor 
auditorium sort of a situation, and it's going to be able to accommodate over 7,000 youth and leaders once it's up and going. So they broke ground for that just recently. And the Tonga mission will be temporarily divided into two missions for the next year, approximately. And that is to better provide opportunities for some of their local missionaries to serve while their overseas placements are still not possible because of the pandemic. Um, But but they're temporarily dividing it because of that, not consolidating. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that it's going to be temporary. Yeah. I'm not too sure like why the division, maybe to you know, give the look like, you know, if you're serving and it feels like a bit of a bummer, if you have to stay in your home country, then maybe dividing the mission and sending you to another part of the country. That's all it is. Feels a bit more, Hey, you know what, whatever it takes to keep missionaries excited, right. We'll go for it. Um, Holy pokey. And the Auckland, New Zealand MTC has just reopened for the first time in 15 months. So that's getting to actually have some real life people there instead of MTC training by Zoom. And then um, the church continues to do a lot of donating some good, necessary medical supplies. So to communities in Nicaragua, Panama, and Paraguay, which I'm sure, to be honest, there's probably been more than that. But those are people who actually update their press website. So I thank them for that. Um, it is shocking how many uh, international church sites do not a- update things. You would think nothing had happened in like six months in Australia half the time. It's just like people. Yeah. What's going on? No, definitely. But I have noticed from having tracked this news for a while, some of them kind of come and go. So there was it anything in Ireland for honestly, probably like a year <laughs> or more. But this time, this week, We have a 12-year-old boy from the Belfast stake who committed to run a mile every day throughout all of June to raise money for the NSPCC, which is like the largest children's charity in the UK, um, because they've seen cases of like abuse and neglect rise during the pandemic. And so this kid has taken it upon himself to run for funds And unfortunately, I can't find anything about how Nathaniel did on this challenge. So we're just going to keep our fingers crossed and hope that he met his goal and was able to do his running every day. And that is our one and only annual Irish story. So thank you. From Northern Ireland, less people. Thank you, Belfast. Not not even the Republic of. Well, you know what? They have, have I have hope for them next year. And that is to our, give you news, or that, or that they will like choose to secede from the UK. No, that they'll give me some news that they'll publish something on their page. You're trying to get the troubles to come back. Please, we don't need that just publish something. I know you're doing something in the church over there. Baking cookies, don't care. Just write it up so I have something to say and share. <laughs> well, thank you, Josie. Here it's for your international perspective. In the world. Uh, another thing dropped a couple of weeks ago at this point now, but the uh, first presidency up, quietly updated some guidelines for bishops to perform or other church leaders civil marriages. Um, so this could be bishops, stake presidents, mission presidents, district presidents, branch presidents. Many of these individuals in many situations have been authorized in some countries or states uh, to perform a civil marriage recognized by the government. It's just the same as going to the courthouse, going anywhere else, you know, the classic setup, right? You, 
say I do, say I do, legally wet. Um, for some reason, the church revised the guidelines on this recently. And I'm still not exactly curious what what drove uh, the rationale behind this. But for context, before a bishop could do this for anyone, like the bishop in your ward, especially in the United States, <clears throat> could go and perform a wedding for anyone, someone in the neighborhood, neither of whom could be a Latter-day Saint, could just say, we would love to have a wedding at your church. Can we do that? I don't know who would, first of all, who would ever said they would love to have a wedding in our church? We, I mean, like when you want to have a wedding in a church, you want it to be some kind of beautiful building with the single aisle in the middle, you know, the church, like a church setting. If we have one in our church, you've either got a cultural hall or you have a chapel, but our chapels don't even have a central, they're, you know, they're not long and narrow for the most part. Most of our chapels are the classic chapel setup, which isn't really a fun place to, it's not. Why would you want to get married in our building? That's all I'm saying. I'm not dissing the church, but they don't serve that kind of function. It's not as fun. But in the event you wanted that for some reason, or you wanted to get married in the young women room that was <laughs> opened up when the the one doors, the accordion doors can be opened up to accommodate you and your party, whatever works for you. Well, guess what? You can't do that anymore. According to the guidelines, either the bride or the groom must be a member of the church. And to be clear, it has to be a bride and groom situation, no matter what the, the laws are in the U.S., the bishops are forbidden from performing homosexual marriages, uh, which is, uh, okay, we get that. Uh, either the bride or the groom as well must have his or her records assigned to the same unit as the church leader performing the marriage. That's another new thing. because so, And this, I think the good context here is like, let's say you, I think in the article we put a little example, like you're an Arizonan living in Utah. And you're getting married civilly, not in the temple. But you're very close with your old stake president back home. And you want to get married back home in Arizona. And you'd love for that stake president to perform your civil marriage. So even though you might travel to Arizona for the wedding, this might mean something to you. That stake president cannot perform your marriage because presumably neither you nor your fiance has records in that stake in Arizona. So you can't do it, which is kind of interesting because that really leaves you with like the courthouse. Like if you're traveling home for a wedding and you don't actually have your records in that area anymore and you're doing just a civil ceremony, you don't really have any church options anymore, whereas before you might have. So I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then the last the last guideline is simply saying the church leader must be legally authorized to perform the marriage in the location in the location where it will take place noting that not all jurisdictions recognize civil ceremonies performed by church leaders. I don't know if they've had trouble in the past with people who weren't like legally permitted to perform them. You know, were they jumping states? Was a bishop in California like going to Nevada and performing? I don't know. I don't know how that works out. He's Elvis on the weekends. It's all good. There we go. <laughs> well, the other funny thing about it is a bishop might do this or that, but you or I could, we could get quote unquote ordained online to perform civil marriages, potentially even in a way that I don't think would contravene any of our our commitments and beliefs and promises, Latter Day Saints, and like you know, you could like literally just have like your friend do it and not even go with the church apparatus. Yeah, I'm just not sure why they're bothering with this. I'm really curious what went on behind the scenes to make this move to restrict it this much. I mean, control is good, I I guess. But what's the win? Like, how is this protecting the church? Because that seems like what the move is, is meant to do. But I haven't gotten there yet. I don't understand what. I don't what's know. Or on. maybe it's the couples. Like that final point, it felt like it was sort of slipped in there, but may actually be the more important point of that. Yeah. Whoever is marrying you actually needs to have legal authority to do it where you're but, getting married. 
But wouldn't that be implied? Because if you bothered to go yeah. to somebody who's not legally authorized to do it, <laughs> that means they can't sign your marriage certificate. And that means your entire thing will be rendered null and void. And I'm sure that would, I'm sure that would, maybe it has been a problem and they've had to go back and redo marriages. I don't know. But I feel like that would be an obvious box to check off first. You because would otherwise, like quite literally, you could go through all these motions, then your marriage is not, you're not legally married because you didn't do it. I don't know if that's been an, a, an issue. I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know what? Write to Jeff if you got married and then found out you weren't actually officially married. We'd love to hear that story. I would love to yes. hear that story. Or, or, you know, shoot me an email, Jeff, at thisweekinmormons.com. I just, I, I, I am not fully criticizing the move. I'm just, I'm curious just about what sort of would be behind this. I mean, a lot of you sent it off on Facebook, but most people just kind of felt like, well, this seems like it's just kind of restricting things for no apparent reason. Hmm. So I'm curious what the reason is. I just want to understand that better. So from Meridian um, Magazine, I lie. This is not from Meridian Magazine. <laughs> this is from the exact opposite <laughs> of Meridian Magazine. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It's been a while, guys. Um, okay, no, not I the just, exact opposite. I That's re- like dialogue. But yeah. Read, but yeah. Yeah. I just read my notes wrong. That's fine. The median age, that's what I totally misread. It's from the Salt Lake just- Tribune, everybody. <laughs> uh, it's from Peggy Fletcher's staff. Okay. My bad. All right. We just won't quote sources anymore. You'll just all have to assume I'm telling you there the truth. <laughs> um, so go. the median age, apparently, for Mormons is getting older again. Um, so we've got up from sure. 44 um, years of age. That was about seven years ago was that stat. And now we are up to 47. I don't know that this feels like a surprise or I don't know if this feels like it tells us anything particularly interesting. I, I actually thought that of the different um, statistics that she had further down in the article, that the one that seemed the most interesting to me was that about uh, 40% of um, members of the church, or wherever the survey was taken, um, have degrees from a four-year college, which I don't know if that means that they have a bachelor's degree or or they just got some sort of degree from a four-year college. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm assuming it's a bachelor's, um, which I actually thought was probably pretty good, except that we're behind a lot of other um, religious groups were behind Hindus, Unitarian Universalists, Jewish Americans, Orthodox Christians, and white Catholics. We are trailing in our university degrees, which I'm not really sh- that that was that was more of a surprise to me. Hmm. And I wonder if yeah. I don't know is it because oh. we have a more of like a churning out marriages kind of university sort of system. And typically think, like women are, well, they may be more likely to drop out. But I don't know. There might be that. Yeah. I mean, and the whole age thing in general, I don't think it's huge, but I think it speaks to a lot of issues. I mean, uh, there's some, I saw comments on this who argued it's also because younger people are leaving the church. So with fewer of them, it's, it's by default pushing the age older because you have fewer younger people. I think though, it's also just because we're, we're living longer. Um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest point. one. I mean, we're, we're living longer and, uh, and then, but it does ha- come down to, you know, how people identify basically. And so maybe if there are, if there are fewer people of a certain younger generation identifying as Latter-day Saints, that would also drive the age higher. Uh, presumably also they found the highest concentration of Latter-day Saints in counties 
Mm. with more than 10,000 residents. No surprise, Utah County, 72%, which actually seems lower than it used to be. And uh, the next largest is Madison County, Idaho, 68%, which is home to BYU-Idaho. So great job, everyone. I think that's interesting. I had, again, because I'm clearly doing such a good job at reading these days, misread that mm-hmm. and hoped mm-hmm. that it was countries. And I thought that that would might actually be a little bit more interesting to look at. <laughs> well, it's I like mean, Tonga. Tonga is over is like 65% LDS or something like I that. They. See, yeah. like that would have been, I mean, that's probably a little bit harder to survey in general, but it would be interesting to know like what are the – you know, in that ranking of between five to 10, what are those countries that you wouldn't necessarily suspect that have decent size populations? That one next, yes. please. Someone publish that one. <laughs> um, curious little op-ed here by Jay Evanson of the Deseret News. Basically <clears throat> questioning, can Utah's compromise on LGBTQ rights and religious liberty be duplicated? Um it doesn't have the answer, spoiler alert, but essentially what happens about six years ago, it was in 20, it was March, 2015, Governor Gary Herbert, and of course, Lieutenant Governor, now Governor Spencer Cox, and many others signed the so-called Utah Compromise, which sought to balance religious freedom with the need to actually protect the civil liberties of, of LGBTQ individuals in the state of Utah. Um, they argued it was the art of compromise, something you give, you take, Okay. That's fine. It was mostly mostly lauded by many. I'm sure there are people in both camps who felt there could have more could have been done on either side. I mean, that's kind of what happens when there are compromises, right? But uh, all in all, it was a great thing. But curiously, Jay Evanson's just wondering why hasn't the rest of the country done this? Because instead, we're more entrenched than ever. And I guess six years ago, they all thought, "Look, folks, Utah's leading the way here." Huzzah! Everyone copy Utah. People haven't really copied Utah, though. That's uh, And it's not exactly clear why they have not copied Utah, but we just seem more entrenched with uh, with our little our little camps, our little tribes. Okay, I have be. a hypothesis. Yeah. And I think it's that, you could correct me where I'm probably going to get this wrong here, um, that maybe because there aren't as many states or really any states with as strong of a like religious legislature besides Utah, like you definitely would have, say, you know, more conservative or more liberal legislatures, sure. But the compromise to me seems like it was very much pitched as like a religious community and an LGBTQ plus kind of compromise. Am I reading too much into that? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe they will. Maybe there'll be no compromise. Maybe we're all just going to fight it out. That's it. Way to be optimistic. Um, Forever and ever. So to stay on a similar topic, the, um, we there has been some pushback from a previous uh, news article that was going around. I think this was about two weeks ago, uh, which was quoting that new survey, the national survey that was saying about one in five LDS um, 
are identifying as non-heterosexual or as a part of the LGBTQ plus um, community. And there's been quite a lot of backtracking since that is kind of said that the data set wasn't really intending to look at Mormons in particular, and then even more specifically, like Gen Z, who are also members of the church. Um, and that in like, really, those numbers are looking at lots of different things. And then it yeah. just happened to also appear to be a large data set of members of the church in the States. And that maybe my, my impression is that like, it's very nuanced, but that we got a little excited and published the statistics when we should have maybe thought twice about that. Well, Jana Reese does get excited. I mean, and I think this is a fair piece going after the idea that we get too excited. We want something that affirms part of our existing narrative and what we care about. So we jumped the gun. But to her credit, Jana Reese, I remember she came out even a couple of days later going into more detail about some of the concerns they might have had with the methodology. Um, but also going as far as to say the overall point still stands. We just need to make sure we're robust about it. And she updated, she she did this on Facebook, but then she updated the website uh, to explain all of this. And we spoke about this, this whole story a handful of weeks ago when it was a big deal saying like, really? I mean, you know, over 20% would identify as LGBTQ. That's a very high percentage, higher than the national average uh, for sure. The one thing I do take issue with, the author is saying um, that they found, you know, the uh, the amount identifying to be non-heterosexual to be a whopping 35%, which he says is very surprising and highly unlikely for a more conservative religion. I think that might be true. 35% probably is high, higher than it should be. I don't know if it passes the, the smell test. But I also don't know if arguing because it's a conservative religion, that wouldn't be the case. Because I think you often find that people in very conservative situations can become more closeted and f- and find these quirks or however them or find what's quote unquote wrong with themselves based on a lot of social norms and mores and things like that. That's not to say it drives people into being LGBTQ, but I just don't know if that, that that's an appropriate qualifier to assume why a number could not be high just because the religious community is more conservative. So nobody could be gay. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that, that, that's not a sound argument, but it's kind of, I like that they've done some follow up here. I don't think this is the worst follow up in what was written here. Uh, and Jacob Hess. Jacob Hess, by the way, the author, has served on the, the board of the National Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation and has worked to promote liberal conservative understanding since his book with Phil Nicer, You're Not As Crazy As I Thought, became a thing. But he's also written a book with Ty Mansfield, who's a good guy. So I don't know. Worth considering. Hmm. I think you're right, though, that that point that you had mentioned, you can't really say that like, just because it's a conservative religion that that's the cause or not the cause of someone being uh, or identifying as LGBTQ. So I I kind of feel like we came, this feels like a anticlimactic, like, okay. So now we are back to not really knowing how many people (laughs) identify and um, so there you go. Such Maybe BYU a, needs to jump on this and actually do their own study or and survey that intended to actually look at this, if that's the question that they would like to have answered. There you go. There's a thought. All right. I've got a couple quick leads I'm going to throw at you. The church is complying with the drought situation in Utah and cutting back on its watering of plants and stuff. That's... 
that's the hot news on that and right there. But they're reducing water usage for Temple Square landscaping. Of course, they got rid of the giant fountain in front of the church office building for other reasons, but I'm sure it doesn't hurt not to have, you know, water just flowing, flowing everywhere. <laughs> Though some have complained that there's still excessive watering going on at church meeting houses. And this is not the first time the church has done this. I remember years ago during a drought in California, the church opted not to water the expansive lawn in front of the Los Angeles, California temple, which... When you come up to it, as it sits on Santa Monica Boulevard, yeah, you've got this massive green lawn and the temple's up on a prominent hill and they just let it go to brown and it looked kind of funny, but that is the natural state of things in California, people. That is how things actually are. Um, another interesting bit is, do you think your, Josie, do you think your bishop has a right to ask whether or not you're vaccinated or do church members have a right to talk about that or is that your own privately held uh, healthcare information, and the church has no right to discuss that or ask you about it. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they necessarily have a right to it, but I wouldn't be offended if they ask. That's not a very you you want a yes or no, don't you, Jeff? Uh, I would. I just want to know what you would what would what would you think offhand? Knee jerk reaction. Knee-jerk reaction is kind of no, but then also like Singapore is a different situation here where they are kind of pushing more for fully vaccinated people being able to have access to like larger group activities and things like that. So actually in our sense, they probably would 100% be able to ask that we don't, we have different ideas about privacy here. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, Walking on eggshells, quick, no, save no, you're good, me. You're good. So I, I thought this was interesting. The um, Over at By Common Consent, uh, Sam Brunson, who's a who's a very smart law professor at Loyola, Loyola University in Chicago, has written many interesting pieces over there. And he talks about HIPAA, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And it is the one that's often cited uh, when talking about protecting one's own personal health care information. But it actually is very narrow in terms of to whom HIPAA actually applies. Like it basically is like health plans, health clearinghouses, your care providers, drug prescription drug companies, like very much directly involved with your healthcare experience. Presumably, your bishop is none of those people. If your bishop is your primary care provider or something like that, then okay, sure, that's a narrow chance that's going to happen. But that could be the case. So I think it's kind of interesting. So I guess the main argument here is simply that, uh, yeah, your Relief Society president could ask people if they're vaccinated. Your bishop could state that he wants people to be vaccinated to have certain callings. They have freedom to do this. And while I could totally, totally understand people still being uncomfortable with that and saying it is your own person, your own private information, HIPAA or no HIPAA, and I think that's, I could definitely be persuaded by that argument. I totally get it. Um, strictly legally speaking, there is, does not appear to be, uh, any sort of risk involved or any sort of issue in a bishop actually wanting to, uh, to do that. There's no law that prohibits the church from asking if we've been vaccinated. And I guess it makes sense. I mean, the church is requiring missionaries going abroad from the States to be vaccinated before they go. Mm. So I don't see why it would be any different at the local the local level. And I've thought about this more recently. I mean, as uh, we finally are getting back into church for the full two hours, it's just started up and I care about my kids. Like, and I'm like, so I've been thinking like, are they going to make the kids wear masks in primary? Are you asking if the teachers are vaccinated? Are you going to make the teachers wear masks? Cause that would be, 
if you're going to put the kids in a small room with the teacher, I mean, that's, that's probably a on paper riskier situation than if they're spaced out in a classroom at their school where the, where the state of course can call shots and make them sit apart, make teachers wear masks. They can't make, even the state can't make the teachers get vaccinated though, but I'm sure most, I'm sure most of them would want to be given their profession. Um, this has been on my mind a lot though, because I think mm. it's interesting the response when so many are like, no, we're just going to get the kids together. It's just going to be normal. And it's like, why is it, why is it like inappropriate for us to expect COVID precautions to continue to what are on paper the most at-risk group, which are kids under 12, even though the, even though we know they don't get it as as badly overall, they're sometimes even asymptomatic. Like I get all of that, right? I mean, the the chance as well for, for kids getting such a bad case of COVID that it sends them to the hospital or worse is lower than for adults and, and as ages go up. So we understand that. But at the same time, they can't get vaccinated. They don't have access to that kind of protection at this stage in the game. So that's why this, this article kind of jumped out at me. I thought it was an interesting thing to explore. Uh, I don't know what a bishop would do with that exactly, but I personally, I do wish maybe they'd just say, yeah, we want to like straight up encourage our primary teachers to be vaccinated. I know you're managing and corralling a group of volunteers, but if someone's like really against being vaccinated, then release them. Who cares? Like it's fine. (laughs) It's yeah, I know I, we deal with finite resources and award. I get it. There aren't always enough people to go around for the callings you want to fill. That's that, that's a whole chess game you yeah. have to play. I can see but. bishops being very like cautious and worried about trying to dive into this because it is has become it's more a can of, of work. Yeah, more sure. political sure. sort of situation sure. in the US in particular. But I do feel like if we had, you know, a different sort of outbreak, um, or if there were, you know how like um there were issues a couple of years ago of kids not being vaccinated at Disneyland and Disneyland being like a hotspot of these diseases. Oh, like he- head- yeah, it was like hepatitis. It was hepatitis. Yeah. So there, yeah. there was part of me that when you were speaking, I kind of wondered like, what if on the very, very tiny minuscule odds, something like that were to happen at one of our church congregations and there was, you know, an outbreak of, something measles let's say or whatever like it would be horrible and then i feel like in that instance though maybe people would be not as concerned if their bishop were asking them you know are you your family and your children covered for this because you know you they're like you're at risk we're in a hot spot sort of area and like in in that context I have zero problem with it. And I would feel like, yeah, you have full right to ask. Um, So is COVID the same sort of situation? Maybe it's hard to feel that way because um, we're all like (laughs) to some various levels at risk of COVID and it's still whirling around and it's still a thing. And we're all also, you know, tired of it. I get that too. But um, yeah, I personally wouldn't be bothered by it, but I, I'm with you. I can understand how some people probably, you know, who could be, but you know, there are other things that the church asks us to do, you know, to protect like the youth you have to do, you know, either in Australia, it was like you had to get approval for like a working with children sort of background check or in general for youth at the moment, the church has a training program that you need to go through. Um, before you can like be set apart there are those aren't necessarily like physical health related but like they are 
protection measures. Um, so it's maybe not a huge step if it needs to go into mm. vaccines maybe as well. I don't know. It's an interesting interesting debate that we might need to have a little bit more or be willing to have. Yeah. And I want to be clear, everybody, I recognize it's a huge can of worms. I understand mm. there's wanting to steer far clear. Of all yeah. Of just trying to keep it, the peace, but you, well, you don't, you don't want to drive wedges in your war. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a tough thing, but I have seen like, it seems like there's such a concern about driving wedges as in not upsetting or alienating those basically like not issuing like a mask mandate still for your war. Like, or just basically saying like, if you're not vaccinated, Please continue to wear a mask. Please socially distance. And that by so doing, that's like a scarlet letter for those who are not vaccinated for some reason. Hmm. Whereas it does not take into account the other side of it. Like, okay, what about the people in the ward who are vaccinated, who care about their children, who like, <laughs> like feel like they can, should be able to expect a certain level of safety for their family. I feel like it's always taking into account how the people who are still wearing masks are asked to do so would feel like ostracized, but it's like you're, there might be healthcare reasons not to have a, I get totally, I totally get that. That's a, those are certain case by case bases. I'd get that completely. But if it's just simply a choice, cause you're not into the whole vaccine thing, then you've made a choice not to be into the whole vaccine thing. And we're still trying to do things to, to, to mitigate the threat. We're not done. I, I, we harp on this a lot. And I think some people complain the show is political when we talk about COVID, but it's really about us being safe to worship freely. And thankfully there things are still getting better and it doesn't appear that uh, there don't seem to be massive upswings, but we got the Delta variant. We got stuff to worry about. Hopefully things continue to be on a, on a better track so we can get back to normal, but, we're, but we're not done. It's not done yet. And uh, I think we should just keep being careful and rant. I'm done. <laughs> get off that soapbox, <laughs> Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's good. I think they're good points to consider. Well, thank you. All right, you've got the last article if you want to do it. Is there I don't another know what one? That is, but oh, here we go. One, I think you. I think you put that there. Yes, I did put that there. Okay, so real quick, just to wrap up, um, there is a fun little article on the church's website about how the Doctrine and Covenants has changed over the years, um, and it just has a few points in the timeline. Um, showing like a lot of it is, you know, kind of the boring grammatical stuff or they've, you know, expanded the table of contents. Woohoo. Um, but there are some things like, uh, an earlier version from like 1835 had seven lectures on faith. And then in the 1920s or so we took that out and, um, don't know exactly what those lectures of faith were, but for me, it was kind of interesting to see because, you know, at least with the book of Mormon, you always get that, um, question of like, if there have been, you know, amendments or anything changed in the Book of Mormon, does that make it less true? Whereas I feel like yeah. we're a little bit more forgiving with the Doctrine and Covenants because it feels very much like this uh, more just like evolving modern revelation. Um, so it's just a little interesting little quirk if you are so inclined to look up the timeline and see what minor changes and new things that were added. Well, and some, you know, some major, I mean, it was, it wasn't even called Doctrine and Covenants at first. It was the Book of Commandments. Mm. You know, it changed, it changed names entirely because Doctrine and Covenants itself was regarded as this, this two part book and half of it kind of went away at one point. Um, this is a good read. And there's stuff to remember. Like, I mean, it's, this is section 130. 
I forget which one it is. One thirty-five. Anyway, the one that was um, we talked about this a bit last week with Keith Erickson. But there, there's a section that was like penned by John Taylor that we thought were the historic sources. They've come back since then and analyzed history, and they're not sure that John Taylor received the revelation in one of these sections, and they've updated it accordingly. I don't think that makes it any less true. It just means we're yeah working wow. the historical record. Yeah. Cool. So Good interesting time. stuff. Well, everybody, we hope you will, you know, follow Josie's illustrious career doing the various forms of writing and things that she is up to over there. I don't know if you're plugging any particular works right now, Josie, but, uh, or just send her your love for the whole pregnancy thing. Send me love. And no, I'm back at university actually. So I'm writing a lot about image-based sexual abuse, which will be something in the future. Yeah. Well, we are all your doula, Josie. Don't worry. Aww. All of us here. I need one that. Big, I appreciate one, that. One big twim doula. Oh. We've got a beautiful inflatable tub waiting for you. Oh, send me swaddles or someone teach me how to swaddle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're little escape artists. They get out every time. I don't understand. It's going to be in a zip suit. That's the only. It, it totally depends on the kid. I've had a couple. <laughs> Uh, one, like my most recent one, you could not swallow him to save your life. He just broke free every time. I'm like, all right. <laughs> just gave up. No point. Folks, thanks for spending some time with us. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to This Week in Mormons. Please share it with your friends. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. That would be cool. If you don't want to leave us a five-star review, well, then you know what I think of you, that I love you, and I care about you anyway. I'd like to thank Josie once more for being here. It's wonderful to see you again. I'm sorry it's been so long, but we're glad you're uh, equalizing a little bit with pregnancy time and can at least chat for an hour about the things. Of course. It's good to be back. It's nice to see you. And uh, all of you, we'll talk to you next week. Another great show coming your way. Thanks again for being here. I'm Jeff Openshaw. This has been This Week in Mormons. Until we speak again, be well, be holy, and be happy. Bye-bye.